Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin, author of the Beyond the Peloton newsletter. This week, we are talking about some pretty exciting racing that's going on at the moment, Tour de la Provence with world champion Julien Alaphilippe, um, a very strong Ineos team. Um, strong, maybe not the smartest team. I, I'm a little confused about their tactics, but we will get into that. I think Philippe Ogana is the strongest person on that team at the moment. Also, Tour of Oman, Mark Cavendish is kind of down there just uh, teaching the young kids how to sprint. At 36 years old, he looks so fast, so quick. It's it's super impressive. But his quick step team, which did double down on youth over the offseason, has not looked as good as in years past. They have their stronger team in in Provence with Alaphilippe at the moment. So um, no panic buttons being pressed, but it does it does signal that they did lose quite a bit of depth over the offseason. Um, if you dig into the BDP net ratings, um, you can see in the transfer market they they had like the second worst transfer season out of any team in the world tour. So that seems to be effect, affecting performance, but I will get into that in a little bit too in the podcast. But first, if you want to support the podcast, you can sign up for the newsletter at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. There's a daily edition during Grand Tours. We cover every major race, break it down with video clips, explanation, takeaways, questions, everything you need. Paying subscribers get it every day during major races. Free subscribers get it a little less frequently, but it's still pretty good. Um, I, I, I recommend signing up, for, at least for the free one. See if you like it. Dip your toes in. You can do that at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. All right, I'll start with Tour of Oman, um, and then we'll get into Provence. But Oman, Fernando Gaviria won the first stage. Pretty impressive win. He's He was once um, like a great sprinter. I mean, he was like the new kid on the block back in 2017, if you remember that year. 2018, he wins two Tour, Tour, Tour de France stages. Um, he's going to be the next great sprinter. And then he, he kind of, he leaves teams. He goes from a quick step to UAE team Emirates in 2019. And he's just never the same rider again. Um, I mean, he goes to the Vuelta España. He only gets one podium in that whole race, not even a victory in, in 2019. And uh, he got COVID multiple times. He was really didn't, he, he kind of got a raw deal with COVID. He was like one of the first pro cyclists to get it at the Saudi tour in 2020. It's definitely not just COVID. He was, he was uh, decreasing in quality as a performer before that, but that cannot have helped the, the multiple cases of COVID. Um, just missing so much training, I assume, um, it really puts you at disadvantage compared to your competition. But this matchup has been pretty interesting because Gaviria was like the young kid that supplanted Mark Cavendish in his waning days. Um, Cavendish is now 36, Gaviria is 27. And what's crazy at the Tour of Oman that Cavendish looks the younger rider. He looks so like he has so much more pop in his legs. Pretty shocking stuff. Gaviria did win stage one. I break it down in today's free newsletter, which I will put in the show notes, but um, it was just picture perfect textbook uh, teamwork from his UAE team. Quickstep was trying to control the race as, as they are wont to do. Um, they, they could not do it though. Even like as, as far out as like 7K to go, they were kind of breaking up, having a hard time controlling everything. They get into the final kilometer and Cavendish is by himself, like buried back in the field. Max Richese, who I thought retired, he was he was out of contract. Um, I guess UAE picked him up and signed him to the Giro d'Italia. They, they were just kind of in a pinch for lead out riders. And I'm, I'm a little confused about their strategy, actually, for the season. Gaviria is kind of an odd fit for them. Um, they have two of the best GC riders in the world in Joao Almeida and Tade Pogacar. 
it does it's not totally clear where Gaviria fits in. Uh maybe they'll you know, they are pretty bad in, in stage races where Pogacar hasn't, you know, attended in recent years. So maybe the strategy is just, you know, Gaviria can go to the Giro. The Giro tends to not have as good of uh, of sprint fields. Uh, maybe a rider like he like him could rack up three or four sprint wins. Maybe that's what the team is thinking. And so they signed Richese to act as a leadout man. And Richese definitely proved in this stage that he deserves another, at least another six months in this contract. He is you know leading him leading out Gaviria 300 meters from the finish it's it's a little uphill so he has to go late uh Richese just steps over a little bit to the left to give Gaviria just enough room to go through on the right next to the barriers that pushes Cavendish out way left past Richese he's got to be in he's in the wind he's going further than Gaviria because he's got to step out and around he's moving you can look in the video clip in the newsletter he's moving much faster than Gaviria, but he can't close that distance, that extra distance, and get second on the stage. But then he comes back, and, and this was a clear, this uh, failing, I guess, for lack of a better word, we'll call it, it was just because of his team. I mean, if, if Cavendish is a little further up, um, he wins that stage. You could say, well, a great sprinter should win by himself. But, you know, if you're two equally equally talented sprinters and one of you has a great lead out and the other does not, it's, it's going to be hard. It's actually just impressive he got that close. We saw on stage two, it's same thing. Quick step is just so, so weak at this race. He also, I, I haven't looked into this. I have no idea what's going on with the tour of Oman start, start list, but some teams have five riders, some have six, and some have seven. I've never seen such variance in a stage race start list. Side. I don't know if it was a COVID thing or, or what happened, but um, quick step only has six riders compared to like bike exchange seven. So uh, that's also probably contributing to why they're running out of riders. I don't know if that was, um, they just had too many people test positive for COVID and they didn't have enough to send seven or, or what happened there. But on stage two, um, it looks like it's the same thing. Gaviria is getting a perfect lead out from Machese. They start their sprint. It looks like it's going perfectly. The only thing is he drops them off a little bit too early, but Cavendish was you know, I'd say 16, 17 riders back with about 500 meters to go. You know, that's an almost impossible position to win from. Um, it's, it's hard for me to stress how impressive this is. And he steps out. You can see him. He's looking around. He has nowhere to go. He can't go forward. And he's looking around. He steps out into the wind and just shoots by everyone. And he's going so much faster than, than anyone else in the sprint and wins Beats Fernando Gaviria for a stage win for the first time since 2015, which um, that feels like um, a million years ago to me. But it just shows you how how physically fit Cavendish is. You know, he he was really given nothing by his team in these two stages, and to finish first and second is, is super impressive. I'm sure he's motivated to put pressure on his Ineos team to start him at the Tour de France. He's only one win away from holding the all-time record of stage wins there. So this must be like the only reason that he's still racing. Um, he really doesn't have anything else to prove. The only problem is Fabio Jakobsen, who's probably the best sprinter in the world, is also on his team. So that's going to be a tall order to convince the team that he should start at the Tour. They can't bring both of them. I covered this a few weeks ago. It does not work. You cannot have two sprinters. Um, just even you're, you're starting to run out of riders for other stages when, since there's only eight riders on the team, if you have two sprinters, um, in theory, one of them could work as a lead out for another. This is not a good idea. Um, you can like go back through all the examples of teams trying to do this. It, it does not work. It's kind of like the fallacy of the aging GC star becoming a domestique. 
it always seems great in theory. It it almost never happens. Um, you can go back through and there's like, I, I would even argue no examples of this ever happening, you know, or really working as people in, intend it to. So he's going to have to prove that he's better than Jakobsen. And and these are these are impressive performances. I will say though, I I will temper all of this with this. Uh, sprint field is not super strong. Gaviria was once one of the best sprinters in the world. He no longer is. Um, he's just not at the level of Caleb Ewan. I, I don't think that's a dispute. But even Caleb Ewan and Sam Bennett, who were two of the best riders in the world, I'd say in 2019, you know, they've potentially been supplanted by. You know, is Tim Merlier better than all of these? Guys, you know, possibly he had a better 2021. Is, is Fabio Jakobsen better? Possibly. <laughs> and is Woot Van Art better? You know, the sprint games just changed so much in the past few years that, you know, you have to be so, so good to, to really compete with um, the crossover rider like, like Wout Van Art, who won the Champs Elysees, the stage 21, uh, kind of like unofficial sprinters world championship stage at the 2021 Tour de France. All right. So over to Provence. Philippe Ogana, big takeaway here, headline takeaway, Philippe Ogana is so good. He's so good. I think I get really excited about Philippe Ogana at the beginning of every season, or at least the last two seasons, because I vaguely remember thinking that he was like a Tour de France contender in the early season French races last year. Um, obviously, he did not go on to win the Tour de France or even contest it in 2021. So take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I think he's proving that he is one of the strongest riders in the world and is potentially completely misused by his Ineos team. He wins the stage one time trial, or I guess not stage one. He wins the prologue, essentially a stage one time trial, very short, an eight minute long effort, doing an average of the estimated wattage was 550 watts. That is a lot. <laughs> try, to, try to go out and do that on your, on your ride today you're going to find it a little bit difficult. He does claim, you know, it was put to him that he could win the Tour de la Provence overall. I definitely think he could. Um, his tactics from his team Ineos today did not help, but he, he, he responded with 88 kilos. He claims he's 88 kilos. I guess, why would you lie about your weight? He's listed at 82. You know, he looks, he looks closer to 80 to me. Um, so you know, if he really is 88, though, then that would explain why he's going to have trouble climbing for for the foreseeable future. I mean, even at, I think his FTP is around, or his functional threshold power, what he can do for an hour is probably around 500 watts. So even at 88 kilos, that's 5.7 watts per kilo. That's not going to be good enough to compete at a Grand Tour. So that that would answer that question. But you know, he's looked so strong. So he wins the, the prologue, just dominates, um, just like poetry in motion, wins it by 12 seconds, which is a lot, a big gap to win an eight-minute time trial by. His teammate, Ethan Hader, gets second, which I was really impressed with Ethan Hader. Um, yeah, I really started noticing him for the first time at the Tour of Britain last year. So hasn't been on my radar for that long. I kind of thought he was he was like a versatile sprinter when I first saw him because those were the types of stages he was contending at at the Tour of Britain. He gets second overall there behind Wout Van Aert. Pretty impressive result. And then he goes on to win the Great Britain National Time Trial Championships. And then he gets third in the road race. And then I'm 
uh, I, I'm like confused about what type of rider he is. I look back through his results. He's a pretty good climber. He won the Tour of Norway, which is a tough race in 2021. And, you know, look, got second at the Volta Algarve, seventh at the Volta Andalusia. These are hard races, but with quite a bit of climbing. And so you start to wonder, like, is this the, he's only 23 years old. Is this like the Ineos GC star of the future? And he's certainly good enough at time trialing um, to finish, you know, behind Ghana, obviously not as good as Ghana, but he's better than the rest um, to, to be a British national champion. And if he can climb that well, um, not alarm bells, but bells are going off. Uh, they should be with Ineos that they might have found the answer to their GC problems, or at least at some point in the near future, they could have solved these problems. Um, as you know, I don't think anyone would argue Adam Yates is like a top tier GC contender. Even Richard Carapaz, who won this year at Italia a few years ago, just doesn't really have the time trial ability to hang in with the, the best of the best. In a, mo- a modern time trial or a modern Grand Tour is really all about the time trial and hanging on the climbs. People might not like it, it's kind of boring, but that is really how a lot of these Grand Tours are won. So I, I was noticing Ethan Hader and I was thinking, I think this guy's going to win the overall here. I-, I don't see how he loses it because he's a good enough sprinter. He can pick up bonus seconds. He's kind of like a super Alaphilippe, or if Alaphilippe, you know, obviously not as, as decorated, he's not a two time world champion back to back. But he has a better time trial than him. And you're wondering, well, he's good enough at these stages at, at stealing, you know, f- even second, thirds, maybe first. Then in one of these lumpy stages, he can pick up time bonuses. He can climb. The, the, the race finishes on a summit finish on stage three. I th- believe that's Sunday. It's about 7K long, but not super steep, around 6.5% average. So Ethan Hader's probably going to win this race overall. Um, no, I was wrong. They go into stage two almost immediately, or about halfway through the stage. Ineos goes to the front of the crosswinds, blows the race up, and it's just exploded. Uh, they have Felipe Ghana. He looks like a tank on the front. He's like twice the size of any other rider. It looks like a dad out with his kids. Um, you know, within minutes, becomes clear that you know about the the twenty five rider lead group there is is going to the finish. And if you're not on that train, you're going to finish ten minutes back. So your, your race is pretty much over. Um, unfortunately, Ethan Hader was like sitting at the back when this happened. So I, I don't know if that's just youthful inexperience, uh, the team not communicating, wanting him to be out of the GC. I, d- I didn't understand that at all. I, I have no idea why they wouldn't be telling him to be at the front if they think they're going to break the race up in the crosswinds. But for whatever the, whatever the reason, you know, not really knowable to us, at least in the moment, they leave him in the dust. They don't seem to mind that they're pulling, pulling, pulling. They have Elia Viviani up there. He's by far the fastest rider in this group. They're leaving Arno Demar behind. His FDJ team completely misses the move. I believe Kofidis and FDJ were the only two World Tour teams not to have representation in that front group, which is pretty bad. Um, that speaks to maybe extreme mismanagement at those teams. Um, I don't don't know how you missed that move. Um, Everyone must have known it was coming. You have a win forecast. You have to be on top of that. So kind of indicative of of larger issues on those squads. So Enios just leaves Hater behind. It's like, see see you later, kid. Learn your lesson. Um, Be better next time. They have Richard Carapaz up there, who's riding himself pretty high in the GC. You know, he had a good opening stage time trial. Only finished 38 seconds behind Ghana. 
with a summit finish, you're thinking, well, you know, Naira Quintana, he, he actually had a, a really good time trial and Naira Quintana makes, makes the split. This might be shocking to you since he's a very, very small rider compared to crosswind specific riders. But at least in the early season, Nairo is, is amazing at making crosswind splits. Um, there's almost like no climber better at, at making early season French race crosswinds. Um, he's, he also, he's the last few years he's been coming into the season way too hot. And then he gets his best results at like Tour de la Provence or another early season stage race. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't start celebrating the, the year of the Nairo just yet. I, I've been tricked into this a, a few times recently. Um, I've learned my lesson though. But Nairo, Nairo had a pretty good, pretty good two stages, or at, at this point, we're mid-stage two. Stage one, I guess is what they call it. But with the prologue, it's really stage two. Um, I'm thinking, God, Carapaz, you know, maybe Nairo can, can beat him on, on the uphill finish, but Carapaz might have this race in the bag because he can probably drop Julian Alaphilippe on a steady state climb. But as they get into the finish, Alaphilippe, as this is going on, is just looking fantastic. Um, makes the split, like n- no trouble. Um, taking time bonus sprints, super motivated. Um, definitely no, they call it the world championship curse. Um, it's really just guys party in the off season. But this is his second world title in a row. I bet his off season w- was pretty business as usual. Um, and it, it showed, he, he was very, very fit today. Um, he was impressive also in the prologue. But there's a move off the front coming into the finish with a few kilometers remaining. Philippe Ogana goes to the front to close it down. And he's been pulling all day. He's been doing like the lion's share of the work in, in the crosswinds and the breakaway. And he, he's pulling so hard, he drops not only his teammates, but he drops the entire peloton and starts accidentally bridging across what is almost an unbridgeable gap. Um, these like five, six second gaps in the crosswinds when you're going all out at high speeds. It's very difficult to bridge that, especially solo. And he's just accidentally doing it. He looks back and sees that he's dropped Viviani in the Peloton and he sits up. He starts freewheeling. Um, I think total mistake. I mean, you know, he's really so dedicated. The team is going in to the stage trying to win it for Viviani that that's all that's on his mind. But if he keeps going there, he probably blows by, I think it was Madne Bajnar, that he probably blows by him and wins the stage. I, I don't see how anyone could pull him back there. But he sits up and wait and waits. Um, there's another attack by an Israel Premier Tech rider coming into the finish. He responds. This is enough to jostle Carapaz loose, who gets dropped, like going into the final kilometer of the stage. Um, at those speeds, that's bad. He, he lost 13 seconds, really knocks him down in the GC. It's, it's, I don't think he can beat Julian Alaphilippe and Nairo Quintana at this point, um, even like Matteo Jorgensen, you're wondering like Pierre Latour, they're, they're all ahead of him. There's no way he can drop all those riders, at least in his current form, on a, on a 7K, 6% climb. So that's his GC right there. So Viviani goes on to win the stage like easily. Um, it's not totally clear to me that's not, not what would have happened has this, if this stage would have played out as a bunch sprint. So if we step back and look at it, Ineos goes into the stage with First and second on the GC and Carapaz is in good position. They leave the stage. They still have Ghana atop the GC, but he's lost time because of those efforts and the, to, to hold the race together. Meant that he got distance going into the finale, into the last kilometer. Alaphilippe is now within four seconds of him, especially with time bonuses out there. It's hard to imagine him holding off Alaphilippe, even with a good climbing day on Sunday. Ethan Hader, who I thought could win the race, is now like 12 minutes back. Richard Carapaz is... 51 seconds back. 
Yeah. So they've won two stages in a row. They've won every stage of the race so far, but I'd, I'd be as bold as to say it's been kind of a mess. Um, I, I'm not quite sure what they were doing. Why A, why Hater wasn't further up and you know why they continue to, they, they treat Ghanis so oddly. You know, he is a time trial, I guess, specialist. He's very good at the time trial, but you know, he's strong enough. He could win classics. We saw today, like the amount of power he is putting down late in a race after working pretty much all day is really stunning stuff. Um, you could imagine him just blowing clear at the end of a few classics, you know, especially like Milano San Remo and like who's pulling him back on the Via Roma when he's doing 500 watts for, for five minutes at the end of that race. I don't think anyone can get him back. So, you know, if they just come into this stage and they say, you know, Elia, Viviani, they probably don't call him by his last name. They say, Elia, we're going to work for you. If we see an opportunity towards the end to split it up so you don't have to sprint against Demar, we'll do that. But our objective is to win this race overall because A, it would, it would be actually super important for, for both Hayter or Filippo Ghana. You know, for Richard Carapaz, it's a little less important. Richard Carapaz is clearly not in shape at the moment. That's another topic for another day. Slightly concerning since he's the team's only top tier GC rider left healthy at the moment. Um, at this point, they need to just have him focus on the Tour de France because he's as crazy as it sounds. It's probably too late for him to get fit enough to win the Giro. Um, people come into these seasons so fit, especially for the, the early, the first Grand Tour, that it's hard to make up, you know, that much fitness that quick. Probably still enough time to to get not race fit, but like race winning fit for the Tour de France. But you know, imagine what this would do for for Ghana if he won the overall of this race. That would be such a confidence boost for him. Um, I, I really, I don't like watching him on Ineos because I feel like they just use him as, you know, it's like a, a no, no offense against Stefan Kung, who, who I think has had GC success before in his career. Um, but they use him just as like kind of a generic time trial workhorse when, when really reality, he, he could be a big race winner. You know, he is a good, good racer. Not just some stiff who, who can ride a great time trial. And, you know, I don't think, I think he'll probably just set pace and pull off on the final climb, but I'd be really curious to see what he could do on Sunday if he was racing for himself. Um, and for Ethan Hader, I mean, for a young rider like that to come into this and win the overall, that would be huge for his confidence too. So just, I thought that was very strange tactics from Ineos. I'm not quite sure why they felt the need to, you know, to go in so hard on, on breaking the race up for Viviani. Um, it just, I don't totally understand what they got out of that. Obviously they got the stage win. So, you know, I guess in one sense, that's what matters, but you know, they could have had so much more. And when you're at that level, when you're, when you're putting that much money into the team, yeah, just, you I'd want to see them be a little bit more strategic about, you know, winning, but then also developing the next generation of GC riders. You know, they need guys like Ghana and Ethan Hader. These are like, you know, they're like they're a VC fund and these are their investments. They need these to pay off. They do not currently have a good enough roster is currently comprised to compete with the best teams of pro cycling. So they need to develop these GC riders. So um, I was very, dis- I was very disappointed to see that for, as a fan of, of those talents, I just, it didn't really fill me with confidence. What it felt like is they're trying to give Viviani a win now, not just a win, but like a moral win, um, like a vote of confidence to like, look how dedicated we are to you. And then they're going to completely turn their back on him 
for the rest of the year. And he's going to have to take a back seat when they get to the Grand Tours. So like, this is the payback. You know, that's what this felt like. A bit of like personnel 40 chess at the expense of, of developing what I think are, are some of the most talented riders in the sport. So, but we'll, we'll watch out this weekend. I mean, maybe Carapaz has a comeback. It's, it's just difficult to see how anyone beats Julian Alaphilippe at this point. You know, he's not the world's best climber, but a climb like that, and he's got a lumpy stage tomorrow. Probably just going to continue to put distance between him and everyone behind him before they even get to that final climb. So um, it will be interesting to watch the, the final two stages. So that's something to look forward to this weekend. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. Enjoy. Oman's also going to be great racing, I believe. So stage three is tomorrow. The Green Mountain Summit finish, which it's not green at all, but it is a beautiful mountain. It's a beautiful stage finish. That is on Monday. So keep an eye out for that. That's going to be a, a fun finish, but I have high hopes for the weekend and I will be back next week. So have a good weekend.